Las Vegas. It's more than just a city. It's a feeling. It's that feeling of excitement when you spot the lights of the strip out the airplane window. It's that feeling of awe as you stroll down the boulevard, taking in the sights and sounds. And it's that feeling of satisfaction knowing that you're in the greatest city in the world. Over 42 million people from around the world share that feeling every year. And I'm one of them. Taking you to the world-famous Vegas Strip and beyond, my name is Jeff, and this is Jeff Does Vegas. Hey there, and welcome to episode number 104 of Jeff Does Vegas. Before we get into this episode of the show, I want to thank my guest from the last episode, Patty Aaron from the Bureau of Reclamation. Patty joined me for an in-depth conversation about a very cool attraction not too far from the Vegas Strip, Hoover Dam. We talked about the dam's history, including its construction and the controversy behind the dam's name, the economic benefits of the dam being built and its effect on Las Vegas, and Patty shared some cool fun bits of trivia about Hoover Dam. If you haven't listened as of yet, jump into the archives at jeffdoesvegas.com or search out episode number 103, the best damn episode ever, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, here we go. On to the show. Shortly after I started doing this podcast, I put together an episode called Vegas FAQ where I gathered together some of the more common questions that I saw being asked about Las Vegas and attempted to answer them. I pulled these questions from social media, including the various Vegas-related Facebook pages that I'm a member of, as well as from the emails and DMs that I received from you, the good listeners of this podcast. It's been over two years since I released the original Vegas FAQ, and in that time, the city has gone through a few changes. Some of the material covered in that episode is no longer accurate, and the last thing I want is to be sharing incorrect advice. Plus, with the easing of COVID-19-related restrictions like masks, capacity limits, and international travel restrictions, there's a large segment of the population that might be making their first-ever trip to Las Vegas, and I would like nothing more than to help make that trip enjoyable. I'm going to cover a lot of material here, including questions about the best ways to get around the city, money and budgets, and I'm also going to try to provide answers to those totally subjective questions about hotels, restaurants, and shows. Of course, we're also going to talk about the sin in Sin City and cover alcohol, drugs, and prostitution. So if you're ready, let's begin. This is Vegas FAQ 2.0. Okay, so we're going to get things started with just a few general knowledge questions, a few random questions that people like to ask about Las Vegas, starting off with questions about the weather. Now, for some reason, this is a question that drives people nuts on the various Vegas-related Facebook pages that I'm a member of. And yes, somebody could just open their weather app or do a Google search, but God forbid a real person gives them an answer. The big question, people want to know what the weather is like at various times of the year. Now, people do tend to assume that because Las Vegas is in the desert, it's hot there all the time. But honestly, that is not the case at all. Vegas does get a very wide variety of weather. Of course, the hottest months of the year being June, July, and August, average daytime temperature in those months being around 104, 105 degrees Fahrenheit. For those of you on the Celsius scale, that is roughly 40 degrees Celsius. That is not to say that it does not get hotter than that in the summertime. I have flown into Vegas in July and August, stepped off the airplane, and it's like 115 degrees Fahrenheit, unbearably, uncomfortably hot. Coolest months of the year, December, January, February. Average daytime temperature during the course of those months being around 60 to 65 degrees Fahrenheit. Again, for those on the Celsius scale, it's about 16 degrees Celsius. At night during the fall, winter, and early spring, it gets quite cold. Temperatures can actually drop down below freezing. So you're going to want to make sure you bring a light jacket or a sweater with you if you're going to be out and about during those months. Something else you're going to want to keep in mind, be prepared to dress in layers. This is a very weird one for the different times of the year. During the summer, the casinos and showrooms, they got the AC cranked and it is 
cold. And then during the late fall, winter, and early spring, they've got the heat cranked up and it is hot. So it is not uncommon in the summertime to be in a casino sitting there with a sweater on because you're freezing your ass off in the wintertime sitting there in a tank top because you're sweating your balls off. So just again, keep that in mind, dress in layers. Contrary to popular belief, yes, it does actually rain in Las Vegas, albeit not that much. The average annual rainfall, they get just over four inches of rain each year, and most of that comes during what they call the monsoon season. This begins late June, runs through to September, and essentially what happens is there's periods of steady rainfall with some very heavy rain, high winds, and flash flooding. I have seen it happen. It is possibly one of the most bizarre things ever. Ever. And of course, because the ground is so dry and so hard, as mentioned, you get that flash flooding, the water builds up on the street, it can get very deep. And if you want to see something really interesting, go around to the back of the parkade where the link is, and you are going to see a raging, rushing river of water come pouring out of the parkade it's absolutely bizarre but again it really is something to see does it ever snow in vegas well believe it or not yes it does occasionally snow in las vegas february 2019 las vegas and some of the outlining areas got between one and three inches of snow december 2008 just a little over three and a half inches of snow fell on Las Vegas. The biggest snowfall ever happened in January of 1949 when Las Vegas got over a foot of snow, 16.7 inches of snow recorded. Very, very bizarre. So if you do happen to be in Las Vegas when it snows, it really is kind of an interesting magical experience, but I would highly recommend not driving during it. Another question people like to ask, what's the best time of the year to go to Las Vegas? I could have probably filed this under the subjective questions heading, but I kept it in this section. It really depends on what you want out of your Vegas vacation. The most comfortable months of the year, end of March through to May, and then again, September to mid-November. You're past that crazy, insane summertime heat, but you're also not within the coolness of the late fall and winter. If you want heat and sunshine, avoid those winter months. Again, as mentioned, those months can actually be quite cool during the day. Then again, if you're not a fan of feeling like you're sitting inside your oven while mom's cooking Christmas dinner, you're going to want to avoid those summer months. Something else to keep in mind as well, most Las Vegas pools are closed from the end of October through to mid-March. There are a few around the city that remain open year-round. If you're curious which ones those are, you're planning a vacation, best bet would be to contact your hotel for details and info on that. Another question a lot of people ask is how safe is Las Vegas? Well, generally speaking, Las Vegas is a very safe place for tourists. There are security cameras everywhere, heavy security and police presence, both on the strip and downtown on Fremont Street. I personally, I have never felt unsafe in either of those areas of town. I know there were some issues following the COVID-19 pandemic and the reopening after the closures. For the most part, those have been cleared up. Las Vegas wanted to get that sorted out because they do not want a perception that the city is unsafe. They rely on tourism. The last thing they want is the perception that the city is unsafe. Anything that is going to affect tourism, they don't want it hurting tourism. So again, most of those issues have been cleared up. The big tip I give Stay in the areas with crowds. Don't wander too far away from the tourist spots, especially at night. For example, I have no problem doing the short walk from Bally's or the Flamingo over to Ellis Island or the slightly longer walk from Planet Hollywood to the Virgin Hotels Las Vegas during the day. I used to do the walk quite regularly when the old Pinball Hall of Fame was on Tropicana east of the Strip. I used to do that walk quite frequently from the MGM Grand to the Pinball Hall of Fame. Now, would I do any of those walks at night? Absolutely, 100%, no way. Some of those areas are extremely sketchy and the last thing you wanna do is get caught out there at night. The other big tip I give, just use common sense. Maintain a high level of vigilance when you're out and about walking around, same as you would in any other city with a lot of tourists. Doesn't matter if you are in New York City or you're in Los Angeles or you're in Toronto or Vancouver or London or Paris, 
any of those places, same deal. Just maintain that level of vigilance. Something you do want to keep in mind, pickpocketing is very common. Again, same as it is in any city with large crowds. Keep your valuables close to your body. Keep your wallets and your phones in your front pockets. Don't put anything in your back pockets, guys. Ladies, if you're carrying a purse, consider getting one of those cross-body purses, particularly one of those anti-theft purses. My wife has one of these. She swears by it. It's got a steel cable inside the strap and steel mesh along the bottom of the purse so that somebody can't just cut through the bottom of the purse. Something you're going to want to keep in mind, street performances. These are very, very common around Las Vegas, up and down the strip on Fremont Street. However, anywhere where there's large crowds gathered like this, becomes a target for pickpockets. Sadly, unfortunately, a lot of pickpockets actually work in conjunction with some of these street performers. So again, just keep an eye on your belongings. If you're going to be sitting on a patio outdoors anywhere, definitely put your smartphone away or at the very least, keep it away from the street side of the patio. A friend of mine actually saw this happen in Las Vegas where another person sitting at another table actually had their phone sitting on the table beside them and somebody walking by on the strip just grabbed it and ran away. That was it. So that's something to keep in mind. Same thing with purses or backpacks. If you're sitting on a patio, keep them away from the street side of the patio. You want to make sure you're watching out for scammers on the strip and on Fremont Street as well. And there are a lot of them. Some of the very common scams include the fake Buddhist monks who are handing out bracelets and prayer cards, as well as the rap artists who are handing out quote unquote free CDs. The scam basically works like this. They will hand you the item for free. They'll engage you in conversation. And then when you go to walk away with the quote unquote free item, they'll chase you down for money. And it can get a little bit frightening. It can get a little bit scary. So best bet, just keep your eyes forward, keep walking, keep your hands in your pocket, and just don't engage. Something else you want to watch out for as well, there are so-called promoters selling VIP passes for nightclubs. A lot of those are scams as well. If they are taking money from you, that is a scam. Do not give them money. And I haven't seen this one recently, but it does still occasionally happen. Three-card Monty. <laughs> This is this is something that I only thought happened in oldie timey movies, but apparently it's still happening in Las Vegas. It's the street gambling. It's the old find the queen where they put the three cards down and they flip the cards around and try to find the queen. You're never going to win on that game. And anyone who you do see winning is probably in on the scam. So just don't get involved. And the police will actually take those scams down. So just keep an eye out for that. Something else that I always tell people to keep in mind as well when it comes to their safety is don't drink too much alcohol. I get it. You're there to party. You're there to enjoy yourself. You're there to loosen up a little bit, but just do not drink too much because of course inhibitions go down and the likelihood that you're going to do something silly goes up. This applies particularly to solo travelers as well. I've been in that situation where you're there, you're solo, you're on your own, you want to have a few beverages, but the last thing you want to do is get completely stupid. Something else to keep in mind, this is unfortunate that I have to remind people of this, but do not lose sight of your drink. People are still slipping drugs into drinks in Las Vegas. If you set your drink around, you lose sight of it, you stop paying attention, consider ordering yourself another drink just to be on the safe side. And this one really should go without saying, but unfortunately it happens all the time. Don't invite strangers to your hotel room and never go to a stranger's room. This is going to end very, very badly for you. The possibility that somebody is going to come to your room and rob you or assault you is very high. And if you go to a stranger's room, the possibility of being assaulted or robbed, again, very, very high. So that should be common sense. But as a good friend of mine used to say, the thing with common sense is they should call it uncommon sense because so few people actually have it. Another big question that I see asked all the time is, is Las Vegas kid or family friendly? This is a topic that just gets absolutely beaten to death online. And whenever the question gets posted on Facebook or on social media, usually ends up with insults being hurled in all directions. And the original poster will generally either close comments or pull a dirty delete and delete the post entirely. Now, me personally, 
I don't think I would bring kids to Las Vegas, but that's my choice. There's no question that there's lots for families to do in Las Vegas. There's museums, there's attractions, there's amusement parks. There's lots of family-friendly hotel properties both on and off the Strip. I mean, Excalibur and Circus Circus are basically 100% aimed at families between the rides, the arcades, and the family dining. The Stratosphere has rides. New York, New York has rides and arcades as well. Off the Strip, Red Rock Resort and Casino and Spa also has a lot of amenities for families. They've got bowling. They've got a pool area. They've got a huge arcade. They've got kids quests, all that kind of stuff. So there's no question that, yes, families do go to Las Vegas. But something you're going to want to keep in mind, this is something that a friend of mine said to me. Are you trying to plan an adult trip where you just happen to have brought your kids along or are you planning on doing a family vacation where the kids are actually going to enjoy themselves? If you're trying to plan the former of those two, you're going to run into a rotten time and you're absolutely going to hate it. But if you're trying to do the latter of those two, you're probably going to have an excellent time in Las Vegas. Okay, let's talk about some of what I like to call these totally subjective questions. These are the questions people ask that don't really have a right or a wrong answer. And it begins with questions about hotels. The big question I see asked a lot, what's the best hotel to stay at? Here's the thing about that question. If you ask 10 different people, you are going to get 10 different answers. When you're trying to figure this out for yourself, there's lots of things you're going to want to factor in when you ask this question. And it's best to put these qualifiers into the question. First off, let's talk budget. Are you talking about staying somewhere high end like the Venetian or the Wynn or the Cosmopolitan? Or are you wanting something a little more budget friendly, something along the lines of, say, the Link or Harrah's or further south on the Strip? Are you wanting to go with Excalibur? Again, also, who are you coming with? Are you traveling solo and you just really don't care about the room? You're just looking for a comfortable place to stay. Are you coming with your significant other looking for a romantic trip? Maybe you're coming with kids, so you want something family friendly. Or maybe you're traveling with another couple or a group of friends. These are all things you need to keep in mind. Another thing to keep in mind when asking this question, location. Do you want to be on the strip? And if so, whereabouts on the Strip? Are you okay being at either the extreme north end, somewhere like the Strat, or the extreme south end, like Mandalay Bay? Or do you want to be Center Strip, Flamingo, Bally's, Planet Hollywood, The Link, somewhere like that, where you're dead center right in the middle of the action? Maybe you don't want to be on the Strip at all. Maybe you want to stay downtown somewhere. Maybe you want to stay off the Strip entirely, away from all the tourist stuff. These are things you need to keep in mind as well. Are there specific amenities that you're looking for? The pool, for example. Are you looking for a pool that's a little more family-friendly? Are you looking for a pool that's got a little more of a club vibe or, or maybe even an adult pool or topless pool? These are things that you need to keep in mind when you're asking the question, what's the best hotel to stay at? Same thing applying to the question, where's a good place to eat? Again, ask 10 different people, you're going to get 10 different answers. There are literally hundreds, if not thousands of restaurants in Las Vegas. So again, things you're going to want to factor in, maybe some qualifiers to add when you're asking this question. What's your budget? Are you looking for something high-end fine dining or less expensive budget family friendly? Are you wanting to go to Gordon Ramsay Steak or are you wanting to go to Denny's? These are things you need to keep in mind. Again, who are you traveling with? Are you on your own? Do you not really care about where you eat? Are you just looking for something simple, fast, and easy because you're by yourself? Are you looking for a more romantic place because you're there with your significant other? Maybe you've got the family there, so you need something that's going to be kid-friendly. Maybe you're going with friends, so you want something that's couples-friendly or a group of friends, whether it's a group of guys or girls. What kind of food do you like? Las Vegas literally has every kind of cuisine. Honestly, everything is there. Do you want Mexican? Do you want Chinese? Do you want sushi? Do you want pizza? Do you want burgers? Do you want steaks? What is it you're after specifically? Because again, if you ask a dozen different people, you are going to get a dozen different questions. The location is also important when you're asking this question. 
Are you looking to eat somewhere close to your hotel? Are you looking to eat on the strip? Are you wanting to go downtown or Fremont Street? Are you willing to get a little more adventurous? Maybe you're going to go to Chinatown or you're going to take a trek out to Henderson or downtown Summerlin or North Las Vegas. Where is it that you're looking to go? When you're asking questions about restaurants, I think, again, it's very, very important that you add some qualifiers to this question so that you get an answer that is actually going to be helpful to you. Again, the same thing applies when people ask questions about shows. I see this all the time. What's a good show to see? This is a really, really hard question to answer because everybody has different tastes when it comes to shows. Proof of this? Go on TripAdvisor and check out the reviews for any of the so-called big shows along the strip. You're going to find reviewers who both love and hate all of them. You're going to get a ton of five-star reviews and you're going to get a ton of one-star reviews. Just as an example, the show Absinthe. This is a Spiegel World show. It's been running in Las Vegas for 10 years. It's the big tent outside of Caesar's Palace. Personally, my wife and I, we absolutely loved Absinthe. One of the best shows we've ever seen. One reviewer on TripAdvisor described Absinthe as, quote, side-splittingly funny, but another reviewer said it was, quote, entertainment for angry white trash. <laughs> Again, one extreme to the other. Chris Angel Mind Freak. One person calls it a jaw-dropping Vegas show, and someone else said it was so bad that they walked out after 30 minutes. Cirque du Soleil shows. A lot of people ask, what's the best Cirque du Soleil show to go see? There are numerous Cirque shows along the Vegas Strip, and they all cater to very different audiences. For example, The Beatles Love. I absolutely love that show, but I'm a fan of The Beatles. I'm a huge Beatles fan. Someone who isn't a Beatles fan is not going to get the show. They're not going to enjoy it. Same thing with the Michael Jackson, the one Cirque du Soleil show. If you're not an MJ fan, you're not going to be a fan of that show. There are people who say that Caw is the best Cirque du Soleil show they have ever seen. There are other people who say they literally fell asleep during that show. So again, if you ask these questions, be prepared for a lot of different answers or consider qualifying it a little bit. Are you after a specific Cirque du Soleil show? Is there a specific genre of music that you're into? Do you want to go see a comedy club or a funny show? You've got to be a little bit more specific when answering this question because Las Vegas has a ton of options. It is a city of massive variety and everybody has different tastes. As Puff Daddy once sang, it's all about the Benjamins, baby. So let's talk about money. Lots of questions floating around about money when it comes to Las Vegas trips. The big one people will ask, what's a good daily budget? This is an insanely tough question to answer. Here's the thing about Las Vegas, and I say this to anybody that asks me about money. Vegas can literally be whatever you want it to be. If you want to live like a high roller, spend $3,000 a day gambling, book yourself into a villa somewhere or a massive suite in a hotel, drink expensive liquor and eat high-end meals, you can absolutely go ahead and do that. Or if you want to do it budget conscious, stay at the Oyo, which used to be the old Hooters, and eat at food courts, guess what? You can do that too. The key is to figure out ahead of time what type of trip you want to do and then base your budget on that. Your budget will also depend a lot of times on who you're going with. I know that my budget on a solo trip is considerably different than when I travel with my wife or when I've traveled to Las Vegas with either a group of friends or just another friend or another couple. You do different things, you go different places, you eat different meals, your budget is going to vary. So take into consideration A, how baller do you want to go and B, who you're traveling with. Once you figure that out, that's how you're going to figure out your budget. Now, there's a distinct possibility you're also going to want to save a few bucks on your Vegas trip. Everybody loves a deal. Well, first off, there are a ton of websites that you can check for deals. SmarterVegas.com, TravelVegas.com, and VegasForLocals.com all have access to discounted hotels, show tickets, tours, 
and buffets. Viva Las Value is another great website. Sergio Portizan, who's a friend of the podcast, runs that website, and he's got a ton of great ways to save money and score deals on there. If you're a Groupon user, check the Las Vegas section of Groupon for discounts on restaurants and attractions and tours. If you want discounts on show tickets, you can go visit the Ticks for Vegas booths, which are dotted up and down the Strip. They offer deals on show tickets, dinners and buffets, as well as tours and attractions, so you're going to want to keep that in mind as well. Vegas.com, which we are affiliated with here on the podcast. That's a great site with discounted tickets available for a variety of shows, attractions, and tours. Just go to that website, type in what you're looking to do, and you can enter it in and you are going to see all kinds of deals and all kinds of stuff. Pro tip, stay away from the people who are walking along the strip offering you free show tickets. You're going to get these guys who are going to try and stop you and say, hey, you want to go on a free tour? Hey, you want a free meal? Hey, how about 200 bucks to gamble and uh, free tickets to a show? This is always an attempt to get you into a high-pressure timeshare sales presentation, which you do not want to be a part of. I will guarantee you that the amount of time you are going to waste in this timeshare sales presentation is not going to be worth it in the end. You are going to end up with crappy tickets to a lousy show that you spent four hours sitting in a timeshare sales presentation to get. So do not go with that. Avoid those people like the plague. Something else you can do to save a little bit of money and earn a few rewards, there's a few different casino games on Facebook that you can play. My Vegas Slots, Blackjack and Bingo, Pop Slots, and My Konami Slots. There's desktop and mobile versions of this. They are associated with MGM Rewards. Simply put, the more you play, the more coins you earn to use towards comps and discounted rooms, meals, drinks, attractions, slot play, and a ton of other great rewards. Now, there are sometimes restrictions on the rewards, so you do want to check those before you redeem them. There's sometimes blackout dates on the hotel discounts, uh, required stays for free slot play, maximum numbers of rewards that can be redeemed within a certain time period. So again, you just want to make sure that you're keeping that in mind. I do have a bit of a piece of advice for people who play My Vegas. Don't pay for the coins to play the games. You can buy coins to play slot games on My Vegas. However, you can also get a ton of coins for free. If you go to myvegasadvisor.com, you can get free coins every single day for all of the My Vegas games, as well as Pop Slots and My Konami. Uh, you can also get emails sent to you every day that will provide you with free coins. That being said, if you do decide you want to buy coins for the games, there are some incentives to pay for coins. There's additional comp rooms. There's higher level rewards, things like that. So again, this is something to keep in mind if you want to try and save a few bucks. You also want to make sure you sign up for the various casino loyalty programs like uh, Caesars Rewards or MGM Rewards. This is an opportunity for you to earn comp rooms, earn deep discounts on rooms, all by tracking your gaming. Basically, you're going to play a slot machine. You're going to put the card in the machine. It's going to keep track of all your gaming and your spending so that they can see how good or how loyal of a customer you are. There's restaurants, bars, and shops as well that sometimes offer discounts for program members and track all your spending. And this is particularly big if you're planning on going back to Las Vegas. Again, those programs will track your spending and they will offer you incentives to come back to Las Vegas, whether that, again, is complimentary rooms or deeply discounted rooms or show tickets, things like that. These are what you're going to get if you sign up for these casino loyalty programs. Another big question that people often ask surrounds tipping. And tipping is one of those things that takes people by surprise when they go to Las Vegas, and it can really add a lot to your spending, something that you may not have necessarily budgeted for, particularly if you're coming from a country or a culture where tipping really isn't a thing. Here's the deal. Vegas is a service-based city, and everyone, and I do mean everyone, wants tips. So who do you tip? Well, there's a few obvious ones. Of course, you tip servers at restaurants, bartenders at the bar, cocktail waitresses in the casinos. You tip cab drivers and you tip Uber and Lyft drivers. 
If you're taking a shuttle or a limo from the airport to your hotel, you're going to want to tip the driver for helping you load or unload your bags and maybe tip a little bit extra if you ask the limo driver to make a couple of extra stops along the way. You're going to want to tip the attendant at the bell desk if you happen to be storing bags and tip the valet attendant if you're parking a car. Some of the less obvious tips, things that maybe not jump out to you right away, uh, you're going to want to tip a slot attendant. If you happen to hit a hand pay or jackpot on the slots, they bring in your cash, slide them a few extra bucks. Dealers at the table games, same thing. If you're having a lot of fun, the dealer is keeping things going, you're having a blast. When you finish up, slide a few bucks to the dealer or maybe place a bet on their behalf. Housekeeping. You can either tip them daily or at the end of your stay. I know people that do both. If you do a tour of some sort, a nice gesture for the tour guide is a tip. If you're going to nightclubs, tip the doorman at the nightclubs. This could be a really great way for you to skip the line and not spend a whole bunch of time standing outside. Characters and showgirls and street performers on the strip and downtown. If you get photos taken with them or you take photos of them or you stand there and you enjoy their show, please drop a few bucks in their bucket. Now, the big question, how much do you tip? There's about a million different answers for this question. There's lots of info available online about tipping customs, so you can do a little bit of a dive into that. Bills at restaurants and bars will usually have a tipping guide printed at the bottom. Me personally, Restaurants, I usually tip 20% for really good service. This varies depending on the restaurant and the level of service. Bartenders and cocktail waitresses, I'll usually tip 2 or $3 a drink. Again, this varies depending on the service and the location. For housekeeping, I'll usually leave a $20 tip at the end of my stay. If I'm doing an Uber ride or a Lyft ride, I always tip a minimum of $5. The tip then varies depending on the driver and the experience that I've had, as well as the distance that we've gone. If I'm leaving bags with the bell desk, I'll usually tip them five bucks when I come back to pick up my bags. Otherwise, I follow the rule of if I don't tip you at home, I'm probably not tipping you in Vegas. Maybe that makes me a jerk face. I don't really care. I'm sorry, but I'm not tipping the sandwich artist at Subway. Simple as that. Ultimately, however, in the end, it all comes down to whatever you are comfortable with. And if you want to hear more about tipping, I do have an episode about that. I did an episode number 59, had a conversation with an etiquette expert by the name of Jacqueline Whitmore, and we went very, very deep into the world of tipping. So again, into the archives, episode number 59, if you want to learn about that. Something else that can add up and surprise people a little bit, resort fees. What is a resort fee? Can you get out of paying it? Well, the resort fee is an additional fee that they add on to the cost of your room. This is how a $15 a night room for a three-night stay becomes $200. This fee is allegedly to cover things like Wi-Fi access, printing off your boarding passes, using the fitness center, making local phone calls, things like that. If you're staying on the strip, you're going to be looking anywhere from $35 to $50 a day extra being added onto your bill. These resort fees used to be less if you were staying off strip and staying downtown, but over the last couple of years, they have been creeping in and creeping up to those off strip properties. There are a very select few number of hotels without resort fees, but again, they are very few and far between. If you want to find out what they are, I recommend jumping online, doing a Google search. Can you get out of paying resort fees? Well, there's a couple of ways. Number one, if you have a problem with your room, phone the front desk, complain about it. Chances are they're going to make it right by taking away the resort fees. I ran into an incident like this staying at the Luxor where we came back to the room. One night we had no water and one morning we had no hot water. I phoned the front desk, complained about it. Guess what? Resort fees got waived. Otherwise, if you want to get out of them, you can gamble a lot. Use that aforementioned casino loyalty card to make sure that your gambling is being tracked. You're also going to want to spend money at the resort property a lot. Charge everything to your room when possible. Go out to dinner, charge it to your room. Sit at the pool, ordering drinks and food, charge it to your room. That stuff adds up. Now, the downside to both of these tactics Unless you were planning on gambling or spending a lot, by the time you gamble and spend enough to get the resort fees waived, you may as well have just paid them. My own personal advice, budget for the resort fees, research the resort fee before making your booking, and be prepared to pay that resort fee. 
Now, another question people often ask is why are hotels really expensive at certain times and then really cheap at others? This is simple economics. It's supply and demand. Vegas hotel prices can vary wildly depending on the day of the week, the time of the year, and what happens to be going on in the city at that particular time. During off times or non-peak periods, it's entirely possible that you might score a decent room at a really nice hotel for as low as $15 or $20 a night, plus that evil resort fee. However, if there happens to be a large convention or a music festival or a sporting event like UFC, boxing, March Madness, a Raiders game or Golden Knights game, if that's going on in the city at the time you want to be there, you can expect those prices to be sky high no matter where you're wanting to stay. That room that you paid $15 a night for in the week before Christmas could run you $350 or $400 a night if there's a major convention going on and there's 200,000 extra people in the city. Here's a tip. If you're seeing high rates and you're flexible on your dates, try looking at different days of the week. For example, go from a Sunday to a Wednesday or a Monday to a Thursday instead of going from a Thursday to a Monday or even change your dates by a week. Go a week earlier, a week later. You may see a significant reduction in those room rates. I'd also recommend doing a quick Google search for Las Vegas events or Las Vegas conventions to see if there happens to be something big happening in the city when you want to be there. Another great website to check is VegasMeansBusiness.com. You can actually go into their convention calendar and it will show you which conventions are going on in town and how many attendees are going. Again, if there's going to be another 200,000 extra people in town for a convention and that many people do attend conventions in Las Vegas, you're going to expect to see a significant increase in those room rates. Something else people ask a lot about is the $20 sandwich. This is also known as the $20 trick. It's an old school Vegas trick that's been around for a very, very long time. The general idea, you sandwich a $20 bill in between your ID and your credit card when you're checking into the hotel. And when you hand it over to the clerk, you ask, hey, any chance of an upgrade or do you have any complimentary upgrades? Something along those lines. The big question everybody wants to know is, does it work? The answer, sometimes. I know people who've tried it with varying degrees of success. I have friends who've handed over the $20 tip and been upgraded to amazing suites with beautiful strip views. And I also have a buddy who tried it at the former Hard Rock Hotel, and he got upgraded to the exact same room that I had gotten without doing the $20 trick. Now, a new roadblock to the $20 trick that's recently popped up, self-serve check-in kiosks. Vegas was already heading in this direction pre-COVID as a cost-cutting measure, and the kiosks are now pretty much everywhere. There's no way to bribe a computer. If you're willing to wait in line to talk to a person, you can do that and give it a try. Otherwise, you're likely going to be out of luck at a lot of hotels. Honestly, better solution to the $20 sandwich, just politely ask if there's any complimentary upgrades available. If you get offered a complimentary upgrade, go ahead, tip the check-in clerk appropriately. Let's talk about making our way around Las Vegas. One of the big questions I see asked when it comes to getting around the city is, how much walking can I expect to do? Simple answer, a lot. <laughs> an absolute ton of walking. When I go to Las Vegas, I walk an average of 20 to 25 kilometers a day. For my American friends, that's about 12 to 15 miles a day. It's really not hard to cover that much ground in a day. The Vegas Strip officially measures 6.7 kilometers or 4.2 miles. But by the time you go in and out of all the casinos, the hotels, the shopping malls, you wander around, you're going to have covered way more distance than that. Something else you want to keep in mind is because of the size of the resorts, everything looks a lot closer than it actually is. And it's very easy to misjudge distances. I love it when I'm walking down the strip and I overhear a conversation from someone and they say, oh, hey, we can totally walk to blah, blah, blah place. It's just right there. It's just up the street. 45 minutes later, those people are absolutely going to hate their lives. Anytime you see something that looks like it's just right there, 
it is not just right there. It is a long ways away. So the big piece of advice I always give everyone going to Vegas, bring comfortable shoes, runners, hiking boots, or a really good pair of walking sandals. And ladies, you want to wear the high heels. You want to look good while you're out and about. I completely 100% get that. But every woman I talk to always gives the same tip. Grab a pair of flats, something that you can roll up and stuff in your purse, put those in there so that either A, you can wear the flats and then switch over to the high heels when you get yourself to the nightclub or the restaurant, or B, when the high heels have completely and totally wrecked your feet, you can switch off of those to the flats so you're not walking around on the strip barefoot, which is absolutely 100% disgusting. Other than walking, what are some of the other ways to get around Las Vegas? This is a big question people want to know about. Well, first off, you can take the bus or use transit. Unfortunately, there is only one bus line that runs along the Vegas Strip now, and that is the Deuce. It's a double-decker bus, runs from Fremont Street Experience in the north down to the South Strip Transit Terminal in the south, which is just past the South Premium Outlet Mall. It runs 24-7 approximately every 10 to 15 minutes between 7 a.m. and 1 a.m., and then about every 20 minutes between 1 a.m. and 7 a.m. It makes very frequent stops along the Strip, which means that a trip from one end to the other can be very, very slow going. It also does not access the North Premium Outlet Mall. You're going to have to make a transfer at the Bonneville Transit Center if you're heading up to the North Premium Outlet Mall. That being said, It is a super economical way to get around. A two-hour pass is only going to cost you six bucks. A 24-hour pass is $8, and a three-day pass is only going to run you $20. Those passes are valid on the Deuce and all other buses in Las Vegas. How do you get them? few different ways. There's ticket vending machines at a few different stops along the Strip. You can also download the RTC app on your smartphone and buy your passes that way. Now, sad news. The SDX bus, the Strip Downtown Express, this bus was my favorite bus to use in Las Vegas. It was an express bus. It had limited stops along the Strip, and it ran from the North Premium Outlet Malls all the way down to the South Premium Outlet Malls. Unfortunately, this bus route was shut down during the COVID-19 pandemic and the shutdowns and unfortunately has not returned. The Las Vegas monorail is an option for you as well. It runs the length of most of the strip on the east side behind the resorts. It goes from the Sahara on the north end to the MGM Grand in the south. It is accessible from inside various resorts along the strip. Keep in mind, it is usually quite a walk from the front of that resort to the monorail station at the back. It's quite a distance. The resorts are big. I'm telling you, they're big. People don't realize how big they are. The other thing to keep in mind, the monorail does not run 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It's also not exactly economical. Five bucks for a single ride, $13 for a 24-hour pass, $23 for a two-day pass, all the way up to $56 for a one-week pass. You can either buy tickets from kiosks at the stations along the route, or you can also use mobile ticketing on your smartphone. Again, it's expensive. It's hard to get to, and it doesn't run 24-7. There are multiple free trams along the Strip that allow you to cover some pretty long distances in short times without having to be outdoors. This is especially great during the scorching hot summer or if it happens to be raining or lousy or cold in the wintertime. Few different spots. There's a tram that runs between the Mandalay Bay, Luxor, and Excalibur. There's also a tram that goes between Park MGM, Aria, and the Bellagio, and another one that runs between the Mirage and Treasure Island. Hours on all these trams might be limited. They may not be operating 24 hours a day, so you may want to do a Google search before you make plans to ride these trams. Rideshare is another option to get around Las Vegas. I love using Uber and Lyft. They're everywhere in Las Vegas, very easy to use. You're not going to be waiting very long for rides. I think the longest I've ever waited for a Lyft or an Uber, maybe 10 minutes, and that's at the airport during a very, very busy time of arrival. They do tend to be a lot cheaper than cabs, especially if you're making your way to off-strip areas. If you're heading downtown or you're heading out to Henderson or Summerlin, you may want to consider using an Uber or a Lyft. My experience, 
Drivers have been great. Cars are clean. They're in better condition. And the driving is usually a lot better than it is with the cabs. And the few times that I have had a negative experience, Uber and Lyft were very quick to respond to feedback. And I've either gotten credits or refunds. Few quick tips when it comes to using rideshare in Las Vegas. Number one, download the app and set up your account before you arrive in Las Vegas. You do not want to be doing that on sketchy Wi-Fi while you're at the airport. Don't hail your ride until you're at the pickup point. If you do and you're not at the pickup point within a certain period of time, you might get charged a no-show fee. This isn't as big of a deal at the airport because the rides do tend to take a little bit longer to get to the pickup area. Where it becomes a real problem is at the hotels and the various rideshare pickup areas there. Because drivers will often just sit there and stage themselves in those areas, you might request a ride and the driver might be there instantaneously. And again, because of the size of the resorts, if you request a ride from your room, it might take you seven to 10 minutes to make it to the rideshare area from your room by the time you take the elevator down and make your way through the casino and the lobby and, and make your way out to where you're supposed to go. That driver is long gone by then and you have been dinged with a no-show fee. Something else to keep in mind, you cannot pay your Uber or Lyft fares with cash. It needs to be with a credit card that is put into the app. And speaking of that, something you need to keep in mind and you need to take into account is your safety when it comes to using rideshare. A few things. Before you get into a rideshare, make sure it's a legit rideshare and it's the ride that you hailed. Check the driver's name. Ask for the driver's name. Make sure the license plate and the make and model of the vehicle match what shows up in the app. The app shows specifically the license plate, the driver's name, a photo of the driver, the make and model of the vehicle, even the color of the vehicle. All of that shows up in the app. If any of that doesn't match or you get that weird feeling that this isn't right, just bail on it. You're better off to pay the no-show fee and dispute it with Uber or Lyft later than risk putting yourself into a dangerous situation. Something else you need to keep in mind, and this comes back to Uber and Lyft drivers taking cash, they will not take cash in exchange for a ride. There were situations earlier in the year where drivers were going out to airports and hotels and picking people up and offering people rides in exchange for cash. Legitimate rideshare drivers will not do this. They do not take passengers in exchange for cash. So if a driver offers you a ride in exchange for cash, just say no. Flashback to the 80s there. Regarding cabs. Here's the neat thing about Vegas cabs. They now offer zone-based flat rate fares between strip properties and the airport. But from my experience, the prices are still a little bit more expensive than using a ride share, especially once you factor in tips and the fees that they charge you if you're going to pay with a credit card. If you want to see what the latest flat rate cab fares are, they are posted on the website lasvegashowto.com. Again, these flat rate fares only apply to strip properties. So if you happen to be staying downtown or off the strip, you're going to be paying regular cab fares, which do tend to be significantly higher than rideshare fares. There's lots of limo services in Vegas as well. So if you want to ride in style, you may want to consider booking yourself a limousine. They all offer pickup and drop off at the airport, different sizes of vehicles available from town cars to stretch limos to SUVs to giant SUV limos with hot tubs in the back. I do recommend booking in advance if you want to avoid disappointment, but you can quite often walk out of the airport and find limo drivers waiting to do pickups. There's also several companies that offer shuttle services between the airport and the various hotels. They'll take guests right to the hotels. You can even arrange a return trip so you can get picked up and taken back to the airport. The pros, they do tend to be cheaper than cabs, rideshares, and limos. The big con that I've found with them is they usually take multiple passengers to multiple hotels and it can often end up being a very long ride to your hotel if you happen to be one of the last ones dropped off. I had an experience where it took almost an hour and a half for me to get dropped off at Treasure Island after being picked up at the airport because the driver dropped people off at various other hotels. It would have been faster and easier for me to just grab a cab or a ride share, would have been a lot quicker, and I would have been checked in a lot sooner. Lots of people drive in Las Vegas. Lots of people take a rental car when they go to Las Vegas. 
what's driving like in Las Vegas? Well, I have very limited experience. I've only done it three times, all the trips I've been to Vegas, but I can honestly tell you that none of those times was all that much fun. Traffic on the strip can be an absolute nightmare, especially on the weekends. The last place you want to be is driving on Las Vegas Boulevard on a Friday or a Saturday night. It is an absolute gong show. Anytime during the week, traffic on the freeway just to the west of the Vegas Strip, absolutely brutal. Rush hour is insane. Parking in Las Vegas can be a bit of a nightmare as well. For the most part, parking anywhere along the Vegas Strip at any of the hotels is paid and the list of places to park for free has gotten significantly shorter since the original Vegas FAQ episode. As it stands right now, the only places you can get free parking are the Strat, the Sahara, Circus Circus, Resorts World, for now, rumor is they're going to be starting to add paid parking shortly, Fashion Show Mall, The Wynn and the Encore, Treasure Island, The Venetian and the Palazzo, and the Tropicana Hotel. Something you do want to keep an eye out for is properties charging for event parking, where they jack up the parking prices during special events, such as Raiders games or Golden Knights games or large concerts. Another thing to keep in mind, Caesars Resorts. Up until recently, if you were a hotel guest at a Caesars property, you could self-park for free. That has recently changed. Hotel guests now required to pay the same parking rate as non-guests. That is, unless you're a platinum, diamond, or seven stars tier with Caesars Rewards. If you happen to be heading downtown, typically parking at downtown hotels is free for guests, and some hotels and casinos will actually validate your parking if you go in and you happen to be gambling at the hotel or you're going to be eating at one of their restaurants. My personal opinion Unless you have specific plans to go away from the city, if you want to go out to Red Rock Canyon or Hoover Dam or a trek out to the Grand Canyon, I wouldn't bother with a car in Las Vegas. And even in those situations, there's lots of tour operators that will drive you out to those locations so you don't have to be concerned with making your way there and making your way back, fighting with traffic, fighting with parking, etc. You've got lots of options to get around without a car. So for me personally, my advice would be, don't worry about a car. It's no question that people like to go to Las Vegas to escape reality, get away and have a little bit of uninhibited fun. So we need to cover the fun topics when it comes to Las Vegas. Of course, I'm talking about booze, drugs and sex. Now, I'm going to put a disclaimer out here. I'm going to talk about the laws related to these topics I am not a lawyer or a legal expert. I'm simply going by what I can find on Google. If you have specific questions or you find yourself in a legal bind when you happen to be in Las Vegas, your best bet is to seek out actual legal advice from a lawyer. Don't tell them, well, I heard it on Jeff's podcast because that is not legally binding. <laughs> Let's start with the drinking laws in Las Vegas. As with all states in the U.S., drinking age in Las Vegas is 21 years old, and Vegas is very, very strict with this. You can expect to be carded pretty much everywhere you go, especially if you look young. I am 46 years old. I do not look anything under 21, and yet I consistently get carded whenever I'm going into any kind of club, whether I'm going to buy booze, whether I'm buying alcohol at a bar, any of that, I get carded. I'm flattered, quite frankly. In Las Vegas, it is totally legal to walk along the Strip or downtown and Fremont Street drinking an alcoholic beverage. The only exception to this, you cannot drink within a thousand feet of a church, synagogue, a school, a hospital, a rehab center, or a homeless center. If alcohol is purchased in a closed container, such as a bottle or a can, it cannot be consumed on the premises of where it was bought or within a thousand feet of the store. Now, I do question how often this is actually enforced because it's extremely common to see people walking into a Walgreens or a CVS, buy themselves a beer, buy themselves some sort of alcoholic beverage, walk outside, pop it open and start drinking it. If you buy alcohol in an open container, like a plastic cup or one of those big giant novelty cups from somewhere like Fat Tuesdays, no problem. You can drink that anywhere you want. 
Something to keep in mind, it is illegal to carry and drink from glass beverage containers on the strip, whether alcoholic or otherwise, but aluminum and plastic, no problem at all. Fremont Street does not permit drinks in either glass containers or aluminum cans, however. They also don't permit consumption of alcohol that wasn't purchased somewhere within Fremont Street. Now, obviously, this is to get people to buy their booze from the restaurants and bars and casinos within Fremont Street. If you've bought yourself a drink at a casino bar or somewhere else along the strip or Fremont Street, you want to get it to go, just ask for a plastic cup and they will gladly give you one. Let's talk about the marijuana laws in Las Vegas. As of January 1st, 2017, possession and consumption of marijuana was legalized in the state of Nevada. And on July 1st of that year, sales of recreational cannabis began. Anybody 21 and over, not just Nevada residents, but anyone with a valid ID can purchase and possess up to one ounce of marijuana or up to one eighth ounce of concentrated cannabis. The only legal way to buy marijuana or cannabis products is from a state licensed retail shop or dispensary of which there are several in and around the city of Las Vegas. You want to find out the best one? Ask your Uber or Lyft driver, ask a cab driver, your limo driver, and they will take you to one of them. The big question everyone has, where can you consume marijuana? All right. I'm going to tell you what's in the laws. According to the law, it is illegal to consume pot anywhere outside of a private residence or a city-authorized marijuana lounge. Legally, you cannot smoke pot in a casino, in your hotel room, or in public. For example, walking around on the Strip or downtown of Fremont Street. That being said, that doesn't mean people don't do it. And based on what I've seen in Vegas, the police are pretty much looking the other way or they're just giving out warnings. Now, that being said, smoking weed in public can be a $600 fine and possession of more than one ounce of pot is a felony carrying up to four years in prison. Hotels can also hit you with huge fines if you're busted for smoking pot in your room with some going as high as $1,000 to $2,000 a day. Even if you're staying in a smoking room, just because it's a smoking room doesn't mean you can smoke pot in the room. Another big question, people like souvenirs. Can you buy marijuana in Vegas and take it home with you? <laughs> Simple answer, hard no. It is against federal U.S. law to carry cannabis across state lines, even if you're going from one legalized state to another. It's also against federal law to carry cannabis past a TSA checkpoint. Harry Reid Airport actually has what they call last chance boxes where you can dispose of any leftover marijuana products before going through the TSA checkpoint. It should also go without saying that if you're attempting to travel internationally with cannabis, that is also illegal. For example, if you're a Canadian, it is illegal to attempt to enter Canada with any kind of cannabis product, including edibles, extracts, and topicals even though cannabis is legal for adults in Canada. So again, do it in Vegas. Don't try to take it home with you. In this case, what happens in Vegas has to stay in Vegas. And to close out our section on sin in Sin City, let's talk about prostitution. <laughs> A lot of people ask, is prostitution legal in Las Vegas? Well, contrary to popular belief, prostitution is not legal in Las Vegas. Obviously, this doesn't mean that it doesn't happen in Vegas. You've heard me talk in previous episodes about getting hit on by the quote-unquote casino girls whilst sitting at the bar or playing slots. Listen, this is a non-judgmental podcast. I'm a non-judgmental person. We're all adults here. If you want to go for it, I'm not going to judge you on it. However, you do need to be aware you could be the target of either a police sting or a possible robbery, both of which happen on a somewhat regular basis in Las Vegas. As for the cards being handed out by the, uh, the porn slapper guys on the strip or the mobile billboards advertising girls direct to your room, escorts are totally legal in Las Vegas. However, they are not permitted to provide sexual services for money or advertise that sex is being offered. Nevada state law, fun fact, prohibits solicitation and prostitution unless it takes place in a licensed brothel. 
and state law bans licensed brothels in counties with populations of 700,000 people or more, which includes Clark County, where Las Vegas is located. Legal prostitution is available in the state of Nevada, just not in the city of Las Vegas. There are approximately 20 licensed brothels in the state of Nevada. The three closest to Las Vegas, the Chicken Ranch, the Love Ranch, and Sherry's Ranch, all of which are between an hour and an hour and a half away. If you want more information on this, I suggest you jump on the old Google, but just maybe don't do it on a work computer or device. And that's it for Vegas FAQ 2.0. If there's anything I missed that you feel needs to be covered, reach out and tag me on social media and send me a DM or drop me an email directly. And since there was so much covered here, I'm going to make my notes available as a downloadable PDF file, which you'll find in the show notes at jeffdoesvegas.com. And that wraps up another episode of Jeff Does Vegas. If you've got feedback on this episode of the show, or any other episode for that matter, or you've got suggestions and ideas for topics you'd like me to cover on the podcast, please feel free to reach out to me via Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Jeff Does Vegas. Or drop me an email directly at Jeff at JeffDoesVegas.com. In the meantime, thank you so much for checking out the show. Be sure to follow us wherever you get your podcasts so you'll know the moment new episodes are available. And don't forget to visit JeffDoesVegas.com for past episodes and show notes. My name is Jeff, and this has been Jeff Does Vegas, a Walker New Media production. Walker New Media.